Well, good morning, church. Happy Fourth of July weekend. It's a privilege to be up here this morning. Uh, I get to work with our junior high, high school students all the time, get to teach them. And uh, it's somewhat rare that I get to be up here. And so this is, uh, don't be making any funny faces over here, by the way. Uh, this is a privilege for me to be up here. Uh, I actually spoke to Pastor Jeff this past week. Uh, they had a great time up in Washington. They kind of did some stops along the way and on the way back, him and Lisa. And uh, they're, uh, as of earlier this week, they were back. And then Lisa on Wednesday took off to uh, Indiana to be with her family. So uh, they're enjoying their time off. Pastor's being refreshed in the word. And uh, is already uh, planning for when he comes back and the ministry that he'll be a part of. But uh, over the last few weeks since Pastor's been on sabbatical, we've been going through a series, whether you've realized it or not. But we've been talking about some of the foundational principles of our faith. Some things that we as Christ followers, that believers... Uh, that we need to be aware of and that we need to be practicing in our life. And so if you'll remember, Joey came up here a few weeks ago and he talked about two things. He talked about fellowship with other believers, the importance of fellowshipping with one another. And then he also talked about worship, talked about our lives being a life of worship. What does it mean to worship the Lord? Um, and then the next week, uh, Dave Goodwin got up. He talked about the will of God. He, he talked about the sovereign will of God versus the commanded will of God. And then last week, Rob Kimsey, we had the privilege of having him up here, and he, he kind of gave us an, an overview, an introduction to the Bible, where the Bible came from, how can we know the Bible is reliable, and, uh, and then reasons why we should study it. What's the, what's the purpose of the Bible? Why should we study it? And how can we know uh, that this is truth? Because this is the truth. Uh, this is the Word of God. Well, this morning, I want us to look at another foundational principle uh, that we uh, are going to look at this morning. And uh, you have to bear with me. I'm not sure if I can preach and do my slides here, but we'll give it a shot. There it is. Thanks, Dave. Uh, this is uh, we're going to be talking about the word obedience uh, and, of course, uh, looking at love and obedience, because I, I feel the two are tied together. And uh, and so I was praying through this word this week. And here's what I was praying. I was asking God that he would help each one of us individually this morning be not just obedient people, because when we think of obedience, sometimes we think of rules and regulations, but to be passionate, obedient followers of Jesus. That's what God God calls us to be. And uh, so I was praying through that and then also praying for us as a church, uh, praying that God would give us as a church, as a whole collective body, uh, the uh, importance of being obedient to him as a church body. And then, of course, I was praying for myself that as, as I came up here, that God would help me uh, to be obedient to his word. Um, and then God, that God would reveal to me if there's any disobedience in my life. Um, and we would ask maybe the same question. Is there any disobedience, uh, maybe areas in our lives that we've just been disobedient to the Lord? And uh, so as we hop in this morning, why don't you pray with me? God, I just want to thank you so much for your word. God, thank you so much for uh, your Holy Spirit that we just heard uh, sung about. God, we do invite your Holy Spirit here. We know uh, because we are New Testament believers that your Holy Spirit in, in, uh, lives and dwells within us. Uh, God, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit living within us. If we are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, God, you have given us the incredible privilege of housing, of being the tabernacle, of being the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. God, what a privilege. And so, God, as we open up your word this morning, I pray that you would reveal to us uh, areas in our lives that we need to be obedient 
to you, what that looks like. And then, God, that you would also reveal to us areas that maybe we are disobedient currently in. God, maybe there's certain relationships that we've been disobedient in. God, or maybe just in general to your word and and our commitment to you, uh, maybe we find ourselves today, this morning, uh, in a time of disobedience. God, I pray that you would restore us from that, if that's the case. God, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. And uh, we just pray that you would speak to us this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, in the 37 years of life that God has given me, uh, I've realized some things. I've realized that there are some things that just go good together. Right. Can you agree? There's I think through your life, think through things that you experience. There are some things that just go well together. And so you're, this is a little interaction here. I'm going to ask for your interaction. So if I was to say the word peanut butter and blank, look at that. You would say peanut butter and jelly or peanut butter and chocolate. Some people would say peanut butter and honey. Um, if you spend any time in my house with my kids and my family, we've kind of, ch- I don't know, they haven't really got that whole peanut butter jelly thing. I grew up on it. I love it. But my kids love this thing called Nutella. You guys familiar with Nutella? And because they love Nutella and then my heritage uh, from the Dutch side of my family, we have these things called, they're like little chocolate sprinkles, but we call them hogoslaw. And so they do Nutella and chocolate sprinkles on a piece of bread together and they love it. Um, so that for them goes well together. Um, if I said spaghetti and meatballs, right, that's a perfect thing that goes together. Uh, I know I have a couple of Disney fans here. I'm looking at one over there. Uh, if I have a Disney fan, if you're a Disney fan and I say the word Mickey, you're going to say Mickey Mouse or Mickey and Minnie, right? Mickey and Minnie, they go well together. Uh, if any Shakespeare fans or poetry fans, maybe in the house, if I said Romeo and Juliet, of course, and uh, I'm looking at Ruben on this one. If I have any superhero fans, if I said Batman and Robin, of course, right? Um, and then I got to go back to food because I love cookies. And so when I think of cookies, I also think of cookies and milk, right? Dip your cookies in the milk or milk and cookies. Uh, lots of things go together. There's some things that don't go together, of course, that we've learned, right? But lots of things go Together. Well, we live in a culture and a society today filled with choices. Would you agree? Every day we wake up, they're all around us. We choose every day. We have choices that we make, whether good or bad, but we make choices. And uh, if you spend any time in my family, I'm always amazed, and actually this happened yesterday again. But anytime in my family, my oldest Wesley, if you're familiar with him, he loves to stay active, he loves to do things. Loves crafts, loves all sorts of things. And uh, he will, if we, on a rare Saturday, if you spend a, a Saturday with us on a rare Saturday when we don't have anything going on and we don't have anything anywhere to go, and we just stay home for the day, usually by 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning, we can count on Wesley coming to either my wife and I and basically saying this, Mom, Dad, is there anything to do? I'm bored. Right? And I'm thinking, son, there's so many things to do. Right? And so my first response was, well, why don't you go clean your room? Right? That's a good thing you can do. He doesn't like that response. Uh, so I would say, well, okay, well, son, you can, you can go outside, ride your bike. You can, he loves to play board games. I said, why don't you play a board game or a video game? Or why don't you go, he loves to play store. Why don't you go play store with your siblings? Um, why don't you make dad some cookies? That'd be a great thing, right? 
And so every day we wake up and we're filled with these choices of, of what we're going to do. Right. What am I going to wear? You woke up this morning. What am I going to wear this morning to church? Am I going to do I have red, white and blue to put on? Am I just going to put on whatever? I don't know. What am I going to wear? Right. If you're in my household, sometimes we ask the question, am I going to take a shower today? Because my kids don't like taking showers. Right. Uh, what restaurant are we going to go to after after church today? Right. Some of us spend uh, more than 10 minutes deciding that. Right. Uh, do I want chocolate ice cream, vanilla ice cream, strawberry ice cream? I learned on my birthday this year that there's a thing called chocolate salted caramel ice cream. Doesn't that sound good? It was delicious. So there's no choice for me anymore on ice cream. Uh, that's my go to. Um, but maybe for some of our students, where are we going to go to school at? What are we going to study? What type of job do I want? Maybe for us that have jobs, am I going to get up and go this morning? Uh, am I going to call in sick? Right. We make choices. Um, what about a little bit more serious? Uh, a Wednesday night comes around. Do I go to church tonight or do I do my homework? I see this one all the time with our, with our students because our students are piled with homework. Right. What am I going to do? I have to make a choice. Uh, we had a, a couple months ago, uh, Wesley was sick early on in the week, and so he got behind on a little bit of his homework. So then the next day, he had previous homework to do, plus current homework. And it got to a Wednesday, and Janine called me, my wife called me, and she said, Hey, what are we going to do? Because Wes has all this homework, and he's feeling overwhelmed, and I don't know if he's going to get it all done. And she's like, I know we have church tonight, but what are we going to do? And so we talked about it for a little bit, and we said, Is church... Is, is not letting him go to church so he can do his homework really even an option, right? And so we talked about it, we prayed about it, and we said, you know what? God wants us to honor him first. And so we felt that he needed to go to church. And so we said, no, he's going to go to church. And whatever homework he can get done, he gets done. And it won't be the end of the world if he doesn't get it all done. Now, luckily, praise the Lord, he has a great teacher, Mrs. Quintana, this year, right? And somehow he was able to get all of his homework done and go to church, Right. And I praise the Lord for that. I, I feel like God honored us as parents in that decision. But we have a responsibility, right, as parents to teach our students, to teach our kids to be obedient to the Lord. Maybe some of us have woke up this morning and it's like, do I go to church to Sunday school or do I sleep in? It's like my one day to sleep in this week. Right. Choices are filled everywhere. But here's the thing. I think somehow we've allowed our society's push for choices to mix in with our view of God and church. And here's what I mean by that. I think our approach to church and to God has gotten mixed in with all of these choices as if God and church are even a choice. Right. As followers of Jesus, if you say, hey, I'm a lover of Jesus. Then is fitting God and church into our lives even an option in the sense of it should be the priority. Right. It should be the thing that we long for. And everything else has to find its place or maybe doesn't find its place. And so love and obedience have to go hand in hand. And I feel like sometimes maybe we've been a little selective uh, when it comes to Jesus and our love and obedience to him. Here's what I mean. I think sometimes with our with our voice, we say, I love you, Lord. But when it comes to obeying him, we only do it when it's convenient or maybe we say, I love you, Lord, but we only do it when it's comfortable. It doesn't cost us anything. Or maybe we say, I love you, Lord, but only when it's popular, only when I'm in an area where maybe it's popular to say, I love you. And when it's not popular, well, then maybe we don't. And maybe someday we will see in our lifetime where it's not popular. I think we're heading that direction. 
right? Where it may not be popular to love Jesus and be obedient to him, but are we as followers of Jesus still going to make that a priority in our lives? Hannah, my youngest, my three-year-old, a couple months ago, I get home from work and she doesn't like clothes for some reason. And so I get home from work and she's running around in her underwear and she's got clothes on the floor that she should be wearing. And I said to her, I said, Hannah, your clothes don't belong on the floor. Well, they belong on your body, but can you at a minimum take them to your room? Right. And she says to me, yes, daddy, I'll do that. I'm like, great. That's awesome. First time three year old. That's good. So I start talking to my wife a few seconds later. I look over and she's rolling around on the couch, having a good old time upside down. I said, Hannah, I said, daddy just asked you to take your clothes to your room. How come you haven't done it? Oh, I'm going to do it, daddy. I'm going to do it. Okay. So a few seconds go by again. She's still rolling around the couch, having a great old time. And I said, now with a little bit more of the stern dad voice, I said, Hannah, dad has already told you once and a second time, take your clothes to your room. I need you to listen. Finally, by the fourth time, right, I finally get the very stern dad voice out. And she finally picks up her clothes, grudgingly grabs them and heads to her room, drops them off. Right. But I'm thinking about this story in light of this idea of love and obedience and how love and obedience have to go hand in hand. If you, if you claim to be a lover of Jesus, you have to be then obedient to his word. And I was thinking about my daughter. I'm thinking she's being obedient with her vocal lips. She's saying, yeah, daddy, I hear you. I'll do it. But she wasn't being obedient. Right. And I think for a lot of times we as believers, or we as the church, we find ourselves in that exact situation. Yeah, Lord, I love you. But I don't know. Sometimes it's hard to be obedient to this. And so I want to challenge us this morning uh, with that thought. Uh, One of our uh, previous uh, momentum speakers, um, he said it this way. He says, God would rather see your faith on your life than on your lips. Right. I could say I love Jesus all day long. But unless I'm living, unless there's action to it, actually, the word of God says this, it says, First John three eighteen, little children, we must not love with word or with speech, but with truth and with action. Right. It, it sure it's fine to come out of our mouth, but if there's no action to back that up, then we're not being obedient, passionate, obedient followers of Jesus. So this morning, I want to, we're going to kind of camp out in a couple of different places in Scripture, a little bit of Old Testament, a little bit of New Testament. Uh, but if you'll turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. It's in the Old Testament, kind of the very very beginning of your Bible, about five books in uh, Deuteronomy chapter six. There's a Bible in front of you if you don't have one. But Deuteronomy chapter six, and we're going to start off at verse four. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four. This is Moses talking to the Israelite people. And Moses says this in verse four of chapter six of Deuteronomy. He says, listen, Israel, right? Israel, listen up. He says, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And then he says these words. He says, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. And these words that I'm giving you today are to be upon your heart. That's a familiar passage, I think, to us, right? We see it many times in the New Testament as well. uh, To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Um, I love what John MacArthur says. John MacArthur says this. He says, 
We are called, I believe, to love the Lord Jesus Christ, to love him with a whole soul, with a whole heart, with a whole mind and a whole strength kind of love. And I would say that we do. But I look at our society and then he says, and I look around at our churches and he says, I don't always see the same kind of devotion. He says, I don't always see the same kind of commitment. He says, I don't always even see the same kind of abandonment to the priorities that are divine, eternal priorities. He says, many times I see us as a church, as individuals, as Christ followers, I see us diffused into a myriad of options. Right. We just talked about that. Giving equal weight or even greater weight to some of the passing things, some of the things that will one day fade away in favor of some of the eternal things. John MacArthur, that was his thoughts on this topic. Your handout that you have this morning, you'll notice that the very first uh, item there, uh, we want to be lovers of Jesus, right? And lovers of Jesus are called to obey or they're called to obedience. So if you this morning are claiming to be a lover of Jesus, then your life should represent a life of obedience to Jesus, right? Those two are inseparable. They have to go together. You can't have a love for Jesus and not obey the word of God. They have to go together. We see this all throughout scripture. I put some scripture up here, maybe a little hard to see, and we won't have uh, time to get to all these. But uh, a lot of these scriptures in Deuteronomy, there's many throughout the Old Testament that talk about this concept of loving Jesus and then being obedient to Jesus. And not only do we see it in the Old Testament, but it flows right through into the New Testament, and so look at with me, if you're already in Deuteronomy, if, you're, if your finger's still there, flip over a couple passages uh, to chapter 11, Deuteronomy chapter 11. And look with me at verse 1, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 1. It says this, it says, verse 1 says, Therefore love the Lord your God, there's our love, right? There's the love for God. Love the Lord your God and... Always keep his mandate and his statutes and his ordinances and his commands. In other words, love the Lord your God, Israel, and obey him. Follow his word. Follow his commands. Follow what he's telling you to do. Right? Because he loves you and he wants the best for you. And so this is Moses's. This is the charge to Israel. Right? This is, hey, love the Lord your God and keep his word. If we know anything about Israel, we know what? They were sometimes good at it and they were sometimes bad at it, right? Like a roller coaster, sometimes in obedience, many times often in disobedience to the Lord. But flip over now to the to the New Testament, to the book of John with me. We read this this morning as we started out our service. But John chapter 14. Because, again, this idea of love and obedience continues all throughout Scripture. John chapter 14, we see it again, if you'll find your way to verse 15, John 14, 15. And Jesus says this in verse 15. He says, if you love me, what? You will keep my commandments, right? If you really, really love me, then you'll keep my commandments, right? So loving God is really a matter of obedience, right? It's got to be. They go hand in hand. Look a little bit further in, in verse 21 of the same chapter. Verse 21, it says, the one who has my commandments and keeps them, 
right? The one that has my commandments and obeys them is the one who really, truly loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father. And I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. You see, love fails when we are disobedient, right? Love, true love to God fails when we are not obedient to him. Plain and simple. Uh, I don't want to take a whole lot of time with this because we're short on time. But uh, on your outlines, I uh, number two talks about examples of disobedience, right? If we're going to talk about obedience, we've got to talk about the opposite, which is disobedience, because we by nature are disobedient people, right? We send our dogs to obedience school, right? But sometimes we fail to try and be obedient ourselves, right? There's some passages there. Saul is the guy that I want us to look at this morning, and we don't have time to get through all these passages, but uh, I uh, put them there on your handout as well as on the screen. But if we know anything about Saul, and if you wanted to maybe just turn to 1 Saul chapter 10, verse 8, or you can kind of listen along. Or verse 10, I'm sorry. Or chapter 10, verse 8. I'll get there. See, Saul is anointed as king over the Israelite people, right? The very first king that they have. And he's commanded in, in chapter 10, verse 8, by Samuel, one of, the, one of the priestly guys. And he says this in verse 8. He says, Afterwards, go ahead of me, Saul, to Gilgal. And I will come to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice fellowship offerings. Because that was Samuel's responsibility. And then he says this. He says, Wait seven days until I come to you, and I will show you what... To do Well, if we fast forward to chapter 13, we're going to see that Saul went and in the middle of going to Gilgal, he ends up in a war with the Philistine people. Right. And what we know is that chapter 13 says, hey, Saul had about 3000 men to fight for him. But when we look at the Philistine people, they had like 3000 uh, uh, of horsemen or 6000 horsemen. And, and then it says that the people and the army of the Philistines was as numerous as the sand on the ground. Right. So Saul finds himself in a spot where he is feeling outnumbered and he's supposed to be waiting for Samuel so that Samuel can offer these burnt, these burnt offerings, these sacrifices to the Lord. And he finds himself seven days into this waiting period. The Philistines are coming at them. And Saul says, I don't know if I can wait any longer for Samuel to get here. Right. War is among us. And I haven't we haven't even offered a sacrifice to the Lord yet. And so guess what Saul does? Saul takes it upon himself to go before the Lord and to offer the burnt offering and the sacrifice. But guess what? Just as he's done doing that, guess who arrives? Samuel arrives, right? And Samuel says to him, what have you done? And he says, well, all these things were happening and my my armies were fleeing. I only got 3,000 and they were taken off and they were hiding in cliffs and caves and they were fearful. And Samuel says, today, if you had waited, would have been the day that God established your reign forever. But because of your disobedience, Saul, that will soon be stripped away from you. If we pass fast forward again to chapter 15, we're going to see another moment of disobedience for Saul, where Saul is asked to completely wipe out the Amalek people because they're an evil people and and to, and to not leave anything behind. Well, if you know the story well enough, you know that he did keep some things behind. They took some of the finest cattle and they kept some of those things. And God said, no, wipe all that out. And so Samuel again has to go to him and say, say, hey, you didn't trust the Lord. And so because of that, your kingship, your reign is soon going to disappear. 
right? Example of disobedience. There's many that we can look at in scripture. But what about examples of obedience? Again, we won't spend a lot of time on this, but Abraham, when I think of obedience, I think of Abraham as the one guy. And when we look in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that his faith and his obedience to the Lord uh, was phenomenal. Right. And so but we know there's I know there's two different instances that really stick out to me about his obedience to the Lord. The first one is when God calls him to leave his hometown and to go to a land that God will show him. And that if he does that, that God will bless him and he will bless the nations to come and he will curse those who curse Abraham. And and basically, Abraham will be the father of many generations. Right. Well, we know from the story that Abraham listens. He doesn't really know yet where he's going, but God calls him to go. And so he goes. Second time that we see and we're probably more familiar with this story with Abraham is when he has to sacrifice or God asks him to present a sacrifice. And the only sacrifice he has is his only son, Isaac. And so if you remember the story, well, he goes up on the on the mount, he gets ready and the son on the way up is, is saying, Dad, I, I know we have wood and fire, but where is the burnt? Where's the offering? Where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb? And, and Abraham's response to him is, don't worry about the lamb. God will provide the sacrifice. Right. And we know that Abraham went to the moment where he was ready to kill his son And the angel of the Lord says, whoa, whoa, Abraham, I see that you are obedient to God. Put down the knife. Right. You have passed the test. Put down the knife. Our our main uh, probably example of obedience to the father and to God is Jesus himself. Right. Look at uh, John 434 up here on the screen. It says my this is Jesus talking. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to finish his work, right? He was being obedient to the father. We also see in Luke twenty-two forty-two, he says at the moment where he's on the cross in his last breath, and he says to the father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus, perfect example of what it means to obey God, obey the father. On your handout, you'll see the next uh, number four talks about areas of obedience. And again, we could probably spend a whole sermon on each one of these. Uh, But these are the five areas as I look through scripture that I see that God is talking about specifically in these relationships. You need to be obedient if you're claiming to be a lover of Jesus. And so we're going to kind of breeze through these real quick. I think most of these we know, but I wanted to hit on them this morning. Uh, The first one comes from Colossians 320. It says this. So children, listen up. It says, children, obey your parents in everything, right? For this pleases the Lord. So who is to be the one that's to obey? Well, that's children. Uh, and to whom are they to obey? They're to obey their parents. And then why? Well, the verse tells us why, right? This is pleasing to the Lord. That's why we need to do it. There should be no other reason why we would do it, right? It's pleasing to the Lord. I know it is. So, hey, as a child to a parent, I need to be pleasing Uh, To the Lord by being obedient to my parents. What about this one uh, from Ephesians 5, 22 through 24? It says, wives, submit to your own husbands, ask to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. That's the way God established it, right? Just as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Speaking of Jesus now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in some things. No, in everything. Right. And so uh, who is to obey the wife is to be submissive or to be obedient to whom to the husband. Why? Some of us wives are saying, well, why? <laughs> right. 
because the husband has been established by God as the head of the wife or the head of the family. Just as, and we see the correlation, right? Just as Christ is the head of the church, Christ is the head of us. So we, as the bride of Christ, are to be obedient to Jesus, to God. What about the next one? Ephesians 6, 5 through 8. It says, Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling. In sincerity of your heart, as to Christ. Don't forget that part, as to Christ. It says, don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your hearts. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, right, slave or a free man, he will receive this back from the Lord. And so we could say today that relates to our employee-employer relationship. So if you are employed by someone or by a company, right, you are an employee, and your task is to be obedient to what your employer or your boss asks you to do, right? Sometimes this is tough, right, if we're honest with ourselves. Sometimes it's tough to be obedient because maybe you think you have a better way or I have a better way of doing something. Um, and so sometimes this is a tough area, but the scripture calls us, To be obedient employees, right? Knowing why, knowing that whatever good each one does, uh, we have this promise that we uh, he will receive it back from the Lord. And so in this area as well, God calls us to be obedient. The next one we find in Hebrews 13 uh, and verse chapter 13, verse 17, it says this. It says, obey your leaders and and submit to them. For they keep watch over our souls as though we give an account so that they can do this with joy, right? And not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So if you call yourself a follower of Jesus this morning, you've made that commitment, then you are to be obedient as a Christ follower, right? You're to be obedient as a Christian. To who? To your spiritual leaders, so to your pastors, to your elders, to your Sunday school teacher, maybe, or to your CPR leader, those that God has placed over you in spiritual leadership, we as believers need to be obedient to them, right? That means for some of us, maybe we need to be a little bit more transparent uh, with some of our our spiritual leaders that God's placed uh, over us or be uh, more honest with them, with things that we're dealing with. But why? Because they keep watch over our souls and someday your spiritual leaders will have to give an account to Jesus for the way that they managed your souls. And so what better way to be obedient to those spiritual leaders so that they have joy as they do that, right? As they watch over and guide each one of us. And the last one I wanted us to look at comes from Romans chapter 13, verse 1. And it says this, it says, everyone must submit. Does it say some people? Some of us may not like this one, right? Everyone must submit. To the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that are uh, those that do exist are instituted by God. Right. We look at even Old Testament and we see many horrible kings that were established. But we know that it was God that gave them the authority and God that took away their authority when that time came due. Right. We look at the if you look at the life of King Nebuchadnezzar. Right. There was moments where he didn't trust the Lord and his kingdom was stripped. And then there was moments where he cried out and finally said, "Okay, I recognize you're the one true God. And his kingdom was reestablished. Right. So we see that God establishes the kingdoms and the kings and we would say our presidents and our governing authorities. And it's God that gives them the authority that they have. And so we have to trust that. Now, I will say one thing, though. 
We always first and foremost obey God. So if ever our governing authorities tell us to go directly against what the word of God says, that would be like our one out, right? Because we are true to God and true to God alone. Um, we see that with Daniel, right? We see that with many people in scripture where they had to stand for what they knew was right. Uh, number five on your outlines uh, this morning, and I want us to spend a little bit of time on this uh, last uh, few minutes that we have, uh, is this. Oh, I forgot that, right? Every person governing authorities. But this one, Jesus forgives. He's the only one that really can offer true forgiveness. But Jesus forgives and restores those who become disobedient. Jesus forgives and restores the disobedient. As you're writing that down, once you've written that down, if you'll turn over to the book of Luke with me, Luke chapter 5 this morning. Find your way over to Luke chapter 5. And Luke chapter 5 is talking about this gentleman that we know very well. His name is Peter. Right? But he didn't start off as Peter. Right. Many times in scripture before really he had an encounter with Jesus and became one of his disciples, we would know him as Simon or maybe we would know him as Simon Peter or even scripture talks about uh, many times he's called Simon, son of Jonah or Simon, son of John. Um, he's also given the name Cephas by Jesus. Jesus calls him Cephas, uh, which if we were to translate, that means a stone or a rock. And uh, we know later on from scripture that uh, Peter be really became one of the pillars of the church. Right. And so Jesus changed his name and all that translates into the Greek name where we get the name Peter. Right. John 1, 42 shows that. But Peter was originally from this town called Bethsaida, later on moved to this town called Capernaum. And they're both along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Right. So by by nature, because of his location, what do you think his trade was? He was a fisherman. Right. So him and his brother, Andrew, they were fishermen. They had these partner, James and John, which you're probably familiar with as well. Other disciples. And the four of them were like partners in this fishing business. Right. And so that's what they did. So he was a fisherman by trade, uh, friends with James and John. He was also one of the first followers of Jesus. He was one of the most outspoken, which is why we know Peter so well. Right. One of the most outspoken disciples uh, in Scripture. Um, but he, we also know he was one of Jesus's closest disciples. Jesus had the 12 disciples, but then Jesus had this inner core of three. And these three often got to do things with Jesus that the others didn't. And this core was made up of Peter, James and John. Peter is also the first disciple to publicly state this, that Jesus as the Christ Jesus is the Christ and that Jesus is the son of the living God. We see that in Matthew chapter 16. But in Luke chapter five, as we're looking through this and we won't read through all of this, but I just want to kind of point out a few things. This is the point where, G where Peter hasn't been called yet by Jesus. He, he's he's heard about Jesus. He knows who Jesus is, but he's fishing him and his and his brother and his partners. They're fishing. They're out in their boat. They don't catch anything. And Jesus comes onto the scene and says, hey, just cast your nets on the other side of the boat. And they're like, well, we've been doing this all night long. We haven't caught anything. So it's cast your nets on the other side. But look at verse, uh, the last few verses. Well, look at verse eight. It says in verse eight of Luke chapter five, it says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus's knees and he said, go away from me, Jesus, because I'm a sinful man, Lord. 
For he and all those that were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they took in. And so were James and John, the uh, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. And then Jesus told Simon this. He said, Simon, don't be afraid. And he says this. He says, from now on, you will be catching what? You will be catching people. You will be catching men. Right. And then he says, and they so Peter and and Andrew and James and John, it says, then they brought the boats to land and it says they left everything. They forsook everything. They they left their business. They left their boats, their fishing lines. They left their families. They left their children. They left everything. Because they felt so deeply in what Jesus believed in, who Jesus was as the living son of God. And they said, we want that. We want to be lovers of Jesus and we want to obey him. And we want to do whatever it is that he wants us to do. Talk about a step of obedience. But my prayer is that each one of us this morning have made that decision to trust Jesus Christ. We've made that decision to be obedient to him. But if you know anything about Peter and his outspoken personality, you know that this claim to be such a passionate, obedient follower of Jesus will soon find its head against some disobedient moments. If we were to fast forward to the pending death of Jesus... Think about that in your mind real quick. The the pending death of Jesus. He's heading to the cross. He's about ready to die on the cross for our sins. And Jesus says, hey, there's some things, disciples, that are going to happen that are going to be tough to handle. And if you remember from uh, Luke 22, 33, Peter says this. He says, but Jesus, I'm ready to go with you to prison and even to death. That's Peter. The outspoken one, the one that forsook all, the one that left everything to follow Jesus. And he says to him, Jesus, I've been with you for a while now, and there's nothing that would keep me from having agape love for you. Nothing that would keep me from loving you unconditionally and doing whatever it is that you want me to do. Well, we know the story, don't we? Quickly after making that claim in Luke 22, we know that Peter, how many times? Three times. We could say he was disobedient, but he denied even knowing who Jesus was three different times. So this obedient follower of Jesus all of a sudden finds himself in a tough situation and disobedience sets in. I don't know him. You, you must have the wrong guy. Uh, not, I'm not one of his disciples. Man, imagine the guilt and the weight of his sin upon his body. I always think of David in, uh, in the psalm where he says the weight of his sin was crushing down on his bones. Right. He felt the weight of his disobedience. He felt the weight of his sin. And I can only imagine for a minute that Peter felt that same moment of what did I just do? The savior that I said I would follow to the very ends and even to death and even to prison. I just said, I don't even know him. Turn with me over to John chapter 21. We'll end with this chapter. John chapter 21. Because we want to see how does Jesus forgive and bring restoration to the disobedient. We're going to see it here in John 21. As we as you're turning to John 21, we know that John 21 and Rob talked about this last week, how Jesus, after his resurrection, appeared to many people in many different places at many different times. And so we know that 
He had already appeared to his disciples as we enter John 21. He had already appeared to his disciples twice. And so as we read through John 21 in a minute, we'll see that this is the third time that he's going to reveal himself in the resurrected state to his disciples. But he had already said to his disciples, hey, I want you guys to go and I want you guys to wait for me. And I want you to head over to the Sea of Galilee, uh, to the Sea of Tiberias. And I want you just to wait for me. So look at verse one of chapter 21 of John. Says this says after this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples the third time by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. It says verse two, it says Simon Peter, who we've been talking about. And it says also with him were Thomas, Nathaniel, Zebedee's sons, James and John and two others. Right. Seven of the disciples were there with Peter. And then catch what verse three says. Right. Peter's already been disobedient once. Look what it says in verse three. Peter says to them, Simon Peter, he says to the other disciples, I am going fishing. Folks, he's not going fishing for people. Peter is stating in this moment, he says, I uh, we've been waiting for Jesus to appear again and I'm getting a little tired. And so I think I'm going to go back and I'm going to do some fishing a fish. And if that wasn't bad enough in that moment of disobedience, Right when he should be fishing for men, we see further in verse three that his disciples that were with him, they say this. They said, well, if you're going fishing, so are we. Right. If you're going to get back in the boat, then we're going to come with you. Right. We're coming with you. So, so they went out, got on the boat but that night. They caught nothing. Hmm. Seems like a familiar story, doesn't it? Well, when daybreak came, Jesus, verse four says, when daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. However, the disciples didn't recognize Jesus because of his resurrected body. And so it says that he says, men, Jesus called out to them, don't you have any fish? And their answer, no, we've been doing this all night. No fish. So once again, he says to them, verse six, he says, cast the net on the right side of the boat. He told them and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. Therefore, the disciple, the one Jesus loved, who is that? John, right? John's writing this. He could have just said, hey, it's me, right? But he has to say, the one Jesus loved, and he said to Peter, hey, Peter, hey, the guy on the shore, it's the Lord. Now, think about this for a minute. Peter is supposed to be waiting on the shore for Jesus to arrive. And he finds himself doing the exact thing that he had forsaken in Luke 5. The thing that he had left behind. And he finds himself now in another moment of disobedience. But here, I love Peter's response. This should be the response of all of us when we find ourselves in a moment of disobedience. Look at, look at what Peter, Peter does. Verse 7 says, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer garment around him for he was stripped because he was fishing and he plunged into the sea. Right. He realized his disobedience. He realized the only one that's going to restore him and forgive him is Jesus. And he says, I got to get out of this boat. And so he hops into the sea and he swims to the shore. He gets to the shore later on. The other disciples will uh, arrive in the boat and Jesus has breakfast prepared for them and. Um, but look at verse 15. We're going to fast forward a little bit to verse 15 because of time. 
think about this for a minute before we dive in. It says Jesus forgives and restores the disobedient. Right? Jesus was the one here that was offended. Jesus was the one that was, uh, Peter should have been obedient to him. And Jesus has had every right to say, hey, there's going to be some consequences. Right? He could have been on the shore with a whip. He could have been on the shore with, right, with an angry uh, face and character. And, and, but no, we see Jesus says, hey, come ashore, have some breakfast. And then look at verse 15 with me. Verse 15, it says, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus then has a little conversation with Peter. Right. And Jesus says, and he asks Simon Peter, he says, Simon, son of John. What name does Jesus use? What name does he use? He uses his prior name, the name Jesus had given him the name Peter. But he uses his old name. So think about that for a minute. He says to him, Simon, son of John. Do you love me more than these? Here's what I know, right? He. He knows that that Peter's been disobedient. He knows that Peter went back to his old way of living. And so he says to him in his original name, Simon, Peter, son of John or son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Well, I know the word love and I, I can say, well, I love my wife. I love my kids. I love our church, but I also love pizza. I love Dodgers. I love uh, snowboarding. I love all these other things, right? Hopefully that love doesn't have the same way to cross those. If it did, my wife probably would have a problem. If I love pizza as much as I love my love my wife, right, there'd be a, a problem in our household, right? Here's what we know. Scripture uses the word love, but it uses it in two forms. It uses it in the, in the name. Love means agape. There's an agape love. And then there's a phileo love, right? Agape love is the highest form of love. It's the unconditional, sacrificial type of love. It's the type of love that Jesus displayed on the cross when he died for our sins. Then we know there's a there's a, a, a phileo love, which is like a brotherly love. It's like a, a like I, I like you like, hey, we're good. Right. We're like I, I, I enjoy your company. Right. It's a brotherly love. But catch how Jesus and Peter use these forms of love. Back to that for in verse 15, it says Simon, son of John. This is Jesus speaking. He says, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? And Peter responds, he says, yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I flail you. You know that I kind of I, I kind of like you because here's the problem. He had already agape Jesus prior in verse five of Luke, and then he ended up denying him. And so he's finding himself in a spot where he says, man, I want to agape you, Jesus, but I've already screwed up once. And I don't know if I can tell you that again. And so Jesus says, okay, well, I want you to feed my lambs, he said to him. He says, I don't want you to be catching fish. I want you to be feeding lambs. A second time, he said to him in verse 16, he says, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Well, yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I kind of like you. Right? It's not the same love. He says to him, shepherd my sheep, he told him. Forget the boats, forget the nets. I want you to shepherd my sheep. And then in verse, time, in verse 17, he says it a third time. And he says to him, we've seen something else three times, haven't we? The denial, right? Peter denied him three times. A third time, Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John. Now catch this. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, 
do you even phileo me? Do you even kind of like me? And it says Peter was grieved that he was asked the third time, do you even like me? I don't think Peter was grieved by the fact that it was three times that Jesus asked him, although I'm sure in his mind he's thinking, oh man, I denied him three times. Now he's asking me three times if I really love him. But I think he's grieved by the fact that Jesus had to even come to his level and even ask him, do you even like me? And Peter's saying, Lord, you know, right? Look at it. He says, Lord, you know everything and you know that I like you. And Jesus responds to him and he says, then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. See, Peter temporarily abandoned ship, headed back to his own lifestyle to be a fisherman after he'd already forsook all of that. And Jesus is standing on the shore and he says, I know what you've done. I know your disobedience, but I still love you unconditionally. And so, Peter, this is another chance for you. Will you be obedient to me? I don't know where you stand this morning in your obedience to the Lord. I know that Jesus was testing Peter. He was trying to see, Peter, are you willing to obey me? Are you willing to feed my sheep? Are you willing to tend my lambs? Are you willing to do the mission that I've called you to do? So this morning, here's my challenge to us as a church. Are there areas where you've been disobedient? Are there areas where maybe we haven't been as obedient as we need to? And maybe some of that is in the areas that we talked about briefly, right? Maybe it's in the employer-employee relationship. Maybe it's the wife and the husband. Maybe it's uh, the, Christ, the Christ follower and the spiritual leaders. But where is it in your life? Or is there any area of disobedience? Because here's our promise. Jesus forgives and Jesus restores those who are disobedient. If... We, like Peter, get out of the boat and follow after Jesus. You have to be obedient if we're going to be a lover of Jesus. You want to be a lover of Jesus? Then we have to obey his word. God, thanks so much for your word. God, thanks so much for uh, examples. Uh, God, you have given us the Bible to guide us, to direct us, to help us to understand your character, to help us to understand that you are a God who forgives and you are a God who restores even in our disobedience. God, I think that the heart of each believer is to be obedient to you, but I think when we face the trials and the temptations each and every day as we make the choices, what are we going to do today? And God, if we're honest, we often choose the fleeting things of this world to be a part of our day, and we often push aside the things of God. God, may we as a church... Be people who, when we leave this place, people don't even have to question our obedience to you. People will see our lives and people will see that we love you and people will automatically know that we are a people who are obedient to your word. God, we love you. God, we ask that you would help us in this area of obedience. God, we need your help. Without you, we can't do it. So we ask that your Holy Spirit that resides within us, that dwells within us, God would help us and teach us each and every day to be obedient to your word, to forsake all, to get out of the boat, and to trust you on the mission that you called us to live. So, God, we love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, thanks for coming this morning. Have a great 4th of July.